Welcome to the Binge Essentials Podcast. I'm your host, David Rocha, and joining me as always, fresh from eating his burger from his brand new Char King propane grill, is Romeo Mora. The reason we bring up a propane grill is because we're talking about King of the Hill. King of the Hill is an American animated sitcom created by Mike Judge and Greg Daniels that aired on Fox from 1997 to 2009. The series centers on the Hills, an American family, and the fictional city of Ireland, Texas, as well as their neighbors and friends. The show's realistic approach seeks humor in the conventional and mundane aspects of everyday life, such as blue-collar workers, substitute teachers, the trials of puberty, and political correctness. Joining us to talk about King of the Hill is nobody. I'm actually going to be sliding over to the guest seat for this one. With all that being said, Romeo, going to let you take it from here. All right. How did you start watching the show? I mean, I saw commercials for it. It was going to be on after The Simpsons. I watch The Simpsons every single week. So naturally, I was going to watch King of the Hill right after that. It's really nothing simpler than that. As simple as this show can seem or even nuanced a lot of the time, actually, as we get more into it. And I liked it. I thought it was definitely different from The Simpsons. You know, these people weren't yellow. It felt very real. All the jokes didn't quite hit with me because I was just a kid back then. Just remember, this is 1997. I'm like mm-hmm. 10 years old. So I'm smart enough to pick up on some things, but not smart enough to pick up on like some of the more nuanced jokes or understanding how satirical this really is, even from the get go. I mean, King of the Hill went into syndication much later, and that's how I sort of picked it up. Especially mm-hmm. during the last season, I'll probably get to that in a bit about the production of it. It wasn't something that I sought out. Then again, when you only have the one TV at home, you don't really get to control what you see. No, that's true. I had a TV in my room from a very young age, so I was <laughs> able to watch these shows. And my parents weren't exactly all that strict about it. Sometimes they'd be like, oh, that show's stupid. You're not watching that. Or, don't you shouldn't watch that. They didn't go as far as like Hank would go sometimes in making sure that I uh, wasn't rotting my brain by watching these types of shows. I, I tend to uh, forget how uh, fortunate I was to be in a household where there were multiple TVs. We had two TVs and I had one of them in my bedroom and it was always a 13 inch TV and it was right next to my bed. I would lay on my bed and watch these shows and yeah, it was a really great time. You didn't even watch the pilot when it aired then. You watched it down the road. I watched it when it premiered. It's kind of a funny episode in the sense that it's making fun of a California guy who is mistaking baseball to the eye for child abuse. The early King of the Hill seems very dry. And it's also kind of funny because you watch it and you pick up on some things right away. You realize that there's Hank, there's Peggy, and there's Bobby. And Bobby is nothing like his parents. And you're able to relate to that in the sense where, at least for me, how I could see Hank. I can see my dad and Hank. My dad loves taking care of his lawn. My dad can also be uptight. My dad is also very very traditional. My mom, to a degree, is very traditional. And Peggy is a substitute teacher. My mom was a teacher's aide for almost 30 years. So there was like a close connection in that way. She was a substitute Spanish teacher. My mom, fluent in Spanish, spent a lot of her time as a teacher's aide helping Spanish speakers learn the alphabet in English and speak English. The difference between Peggy and my mom is that my mom actually <laughs> knew what she was saying 100% of the time. So yeah, there, there was a lot of uh, similarities there that uh, I was able to relate to. I kind of related in the way where it was a little difficult for me to connect with my dad because we didn't have many shared interests, but it wasn't nearly at the level that Hank and Bobby have, where it's just like they're not similar at all. 
Hank has a really difficult time even just being alone with, with Bobby. <laughs> you know, Hank gets very upset easily. My dad got very upset easily. Hank will obviously, as you can tell on the show, not abusive. My dad wasn't abusive. And I think that really sold me on the show where it's like, wow, this feels so realistic. Even though I can't relate to it on a one-to-one level, there are a lot of traits to it that I am able to relate, that I am able to see. The relationship between Hank and Bobby is something that at least I could relate to because I mostly identify with Bobby. I do not do the sports. They tried. The closest I got was basketball. And then I'm like, yeah, not for me. Oh, and we also meet Luann in the pilot as well. And to use a term that even I'll admit, I'm not 100% comfortable using trailer park trash. She comes from trailer park trash background. Her mom stabbed her dad in the fork and her mom went to jail and she had nowhere to stay. So she she stayed with the hills at a young age. Sometimes you accidentally get raised with these generalizations about certain groups of people. So you do think of Southerns as like rednecks. That is something I'll admit. And even Khan goes out of his way to call everyone a redneck. The thing about what taught me about this is that there was a distinction between the hills and Luann, you know, like Luann comes from like what's described as trailer park trash background and the hills are rednecks, but they're not really rednecks. They're just regular people like me. You know, I'm just some California boy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know that sounds like kind of silly to admit, but it's it's true when you're a kid. It's very easy to make an impression on a kid to think like everyone from the South are just a bunch of rednecks. But I think the show kind of proves it's like they're not rednecks necessarily. Conservative values. Sure. That might be different from some Californians who are often very liberal. But they're just normal people or a lot of them could just be good, normal people. I know you and I might have some some disagreements about this right now, considering what's been going on in Texas politically. I think it did a pretty good job kind of humanizing people of Texas, some people of Texas. They, they did satirize or have caricatures of different types of Texans, for sure. Even Hank, to some degree, is a stereotype of a Texan. But I still think they did a pretty good job distinguishing the different types of people. And again, yeah, I just added on to the realism. Also, I got a kick out of Dale. I got a kick out of Boom Hauer and a kick out of Bill. All very funny, different characters. It is a good pilot. And you do have that moment. Hank has to uncomfortably admit that he loves Bobby and is proud of him. And I think that's something we all want to hear from our dad at some point, even especially dads who are emotionally stunted or for one reason or another and have a hard time admitting these types of feelings to their own children um, because they just don't want to open themselves up to that vulnerability. I think a lot of young boys were searching for that. You kind of feel that. You feel that in the pilot. Again, right after The Simpsons, so I was going to come back every single week to see where this was going. And the pilot was certainly a good episode, good enough episode to keep me hooked. Which is interesting because if you think about those characters, they weren't originally in the pilot that got sold. Because Dale wasn't a conspiracy theorist, which I can't imagine the original pitch show because because I think we should talk about the origin of King of the Hell, which a version of Hank Hill appeared on Beavis and Butthead on MTV. Yes, yes, you're referring to the character of Tom Anderson, who I think Mike Judge originally pitched as Hank Hill being the son of Tom Anderson. But the network Fox didn't want to have that connection with MTV. 
they wanted to make sure that both shows were their own separate entities. So that's how Cotton was born. Uh, worth noting that Mike Judge is from Texas. It's worth noting that he didn't even originally have a career in animation. He was actually studying physics in college and he just liked doing animation as a hobby and later decided to pursue it as a career. Would go to like animation festivals and stuff and meet people and develop relationships and it's actually kind of impressive. He, he really is kind of like a self-made man and finding success with Vivas and Butthead and later again with King of the Hill. It's like he's an interesting guy. You watch him in interviews. He's just very ordinary. A little bit of that Texas twang and he'll be the first to admit that this show probably wouldn't have made it if it wasn't for Greg Daniels. Greg Daniels played a huge part in helping rewrite the pilot, selling it to the network because Mike Judge wrote it, presented it to the network, network made notes and Greg Daniels came in to help clean it up because Greg Daniels already had like an established relationship with how to sell shows and help get the networks where they want, kind of be that like in-between man. So he later became credited as a creator with Mike Judge. You mentioned that you started watching this show because it was after The Simpsons. So did it take a while for you to be like, okay, this is not on just because it's after The Simpsons? Did it ever shift over to like, okay, I'm watching this regardless? It's funny you ask this because I learned something that I honestly don't really have a memory of. In season three, the show moved to, to Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. I don't even have a memory of this. I always associated the show being on Sunday nights. So it got moved to Tuesday, I think because they wanted to make room for newer shows like Futurama and Family Guy. And so, yeah, it was on Tuesdays at 8. I don't have a memory of that, but I'm telling you, I watched the show every single week because that's just how you watch TV back then. If you missed it, you had to wait till the summer to watch the reruns. Again, I know I watched it. So that's probably the point where I decided that this show was more than just, oh, yeah, it's on after the Simpsons. No, this is part of my rotation of television viewing every single week. Season three. That was definitely the point. When they create their fall schedules, they're going for like who can get the highest ratings. And Tuesday nights back in the late 90s was a tough market to sort of crack. Yeah, because yeah. we're talking about a show that was number 15 in the Nielsen rate ratings on season two. You know, it's pulling in 16 million viewers a week. And then they move it to Tuesday. It drops all the way down to number 110, pulling in 7.9 million viewers a week. I mean, still semi-respectable, but it's only because it's going up against really tough competition yeah. on a Tuesday so night. Its competition was Home Improvement on ABC, Spin City, Jag. And then on NBC, at least in the fall, it had Mad About You, UPN's Moesha, and of course, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which was a phenomenon by its, what, 98? Yeah, its third season. I think what Fox was probably thinking is that whatever we put on Tuesday night that's new, for example, Futurama or Family Guy, was not going to pull in the ratings that King of the Hill could pull. That's my only guess. And then ultimately, they decided to move it back to Sunday. The viewership went up when it moved back. And yeah, the rest is history. It's yeah, on Sundays ever since. So we talked a little bit about Hank Hill. We mentioned Bobby and a few. You want to get a little bit more into the character of Hank Hill? Yeah, so Hank is a Texan. He is an assistant manager at Strickland Propane. He sells propane and propane accessories, and he is very passionate about his work. He is conservative, but not to the degree of how one might think when they hear the word conservative. Hank is a very nice man. He's very respectable most of the time. He will uh, threaten to kick your ass 
ass if you give him lip. He's very caring. He's he loves Peggy very much. He uh, supports her. So it's actually kind of interesting because there's a point where he's able to get Peggy to be a stay at home mom. By the end of the episode, he realizes that he's actually hindering Peggy as a human being by forcing her just to be a stay at home mom. The way he describes it is that you have too much love to give and you need to like spread it out to other kids and and be a school teacher. He kind of comes to terms with the fact that I'm married to a, uh, a working woman who has passions, who has goals, very strong minded, and he just has to let Peggy be who she wants to be. So he does have a bit of an open mind. Can he be stubborn? Sure, absolutely. But he is capable of learning lessons. He is capable of having respect for people who may not have the same views as him. I think one interesting example is that when he meets Jimmy Carter, he is like... He, he loves that he met Jimmy Carter. He he shakes his hand. He's like, you were president of America. You know, it's wait. How was the handshake? A firm it handshake. A, nice strong, a, a fair nice handshake. Firm okay. handshake. Unlike Bush. And and that's the other thing. It's like it also shows that he is able to reevaluate his whole belief system by something as simple as a handshake. He has this idea that George W. Bush is the model conservative and the model Texan. And when he shakes his hand and feels that it's limp. He's stunned. His whole worldview is just shattered of what he believes to be the like ideal president. And it messes with him so much that he almost doesn't even vote. And I like that at the end of the episode, we still don't know who he voted for. It's likely that he still voted for Bush. I would like to think that he's able to overcome something as trivial as a handshake and that he would put policies first. That's such an like, interesting thing about like the handshake thing, too, and these little thing where this was done in a time where we didn't talk about neurodivergence and autism and all the other things that would make people who aren't comfortable with touching or a handshake or can because they have some type of dexterity and ability to sort of shake someone's hand. If you look at it from today's lens, you're like, God damn, Hank Hill is ableist. Now, I understand the perspective of like, maybe some people don't have the natural dexterity to handle a handshake or something. But what I want in the end is I want people to think about how first impressions matter. If you get anything <laughs> from King of the Hill is the importance of a handshake. Nothing else matters but the handshake. Yes. <laughs> we boiled it down. We're done. Let's close out the show. Let's We're close good. Out. We're good to go. Hank is also able to learn a lot from Bobby. He's able to come to terms that Bobby isn't going to be the son that he thought he would have. But he still is so impressed by Bobby's confidence at times. And Bobby knows who he is. He knows he's like this short fat kid. He knows he's not going to win any trophies in sports or anything like that. But what he does know is that he focuses on his strengths. He knows that he's funny. He knows that he can get a girl to like him. He's had multiple girlfriends, if I remember correctly in the series, or at least he's had one girlfriend for sure, Connie. But right. he's also had positive experiences with other girls like in Returning Japanese where he doesn't even speak the same language as the Japanese girl, but they know one thing, that they like to dance together. I think what Hank doesn't realize is that those confident levels that Bobby has, that is part of Hank right there. That's also part of Peggy because Peggy is also the most... Actually, I shouldn't say Peggy is confident, but she's also incredibly narcissistic. So Bobby doesn't have that. He's not narcissistic. So I <laughs> They 
do tackle without saying they are tackling the issue of toxic masculinity. And we see like three levels of this. And maybe it's a good time to probably talk about the relationship of the three Hill men. Hank's father, Hank and Bobby. Cotton, I think because of the trauma of World War II that happened on Cotton, losing his shins, killing fitty men. I kill fitty men. I think that he just a bitter and angry person. He took it out on Hank. That's just the truth. I think if Hank showed any sign of vulnerability, he would act out on Hank in a negative manner. He was obviously a very terrible husband as well. Very verbally abusive towards Tilly. That trauma really affected Hank and stunted his growth emotionally for some time. Even when Hank broke his ankle trying to go in for the winning score in the state championship, Cotton is berating him, telling him that he's got weak ankles. He got it from his mother and it's just like even though throughout the series there are little moments here and there where Cotton does soften up and gives Hank credit. He even says that Hank is a better father to Bobby than Cotton has ever been to Hank. So there are moments where he is able to admit that Hank is a good, at least a good father. Maybe not a good son, but certainly a good father. <laughs> and he is able to come to terms with needing help when he realizes that he's broke and he needs to support or GH, good Hank. And so he is able to take money from Hank. It's an incredibly challenging relationship. And it's something that is very, 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 I can't say very enough, true of relationships between the boomer generation. It's no secret. The boomer generation has really tried to do a number on the Gen X and the millennial generation. I just think back to his line during the uh, poll episode where he says that Luan shouldn't be allowed to vote if all she does is watch MTV. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, your boomer is showing, Hank. Right? Your boomer is showing. Oh, but, you know, it's also like those good old fashioned American values, always wanting to do the traditional things. Or also, you don't talk about your feelings. You keep them pushed down way inside. Therapy and counseling is something that's scoffed at. All of those things are from the boomer generation that they tried to instill us in later generations. And we're the ones who pushed back. We're the ones who are like, no, we want to express ourselves. We want to be free thinkers. I know we're going to talk about the revival down the road, but I wonder how this type of maybe trauma, for a lack of a better term, is going to affect Bobby. And it, I guess it all depends on where he decides to locate himself when he becomes an adult. Does he stay in Texas? Does he move to somewhere a little more liberal like Austin? Does he go to California? Does he go to New York? These are questions that I have because I think location does matter on mm -hmm. whether or not he's able to grow as a human being. Definitely. Even though they set it up in a way where in the finale found common ground and sort of repaired their relationship in a way where they're able to sort of communicate better. I want to think he'll stay close to home because I think he's the type of son that because if you think about it, if the revival does happen, they would be advanced in age. I don't think Bobby's the type that will let them go into a home because let's be honest here. Hank at an advanced age would be too much to handle for Peggy alone. Because <laughs> I see a lot of Bobby in me where I would do the good thing and take care of my parents. No, yeah, the that's... detriment of my dreams 
of trying to be a stand-up comedian, which he could still pursue as a side thing. Mm -hmm. Most likely, you probably got a job at the probably the rebuilt Low Mart. (laughs) The Megalomart. (laughs) Megalomart or Strickland Propane. That's what I envisioned for Bobby, which is probably the smartest realistic thing. Otherwise, I don't know what kind of show it would be. I mean, he's also a great talker. He could be an insurance salesman. He could be a bartender. He could have a number of jobs where he's allowed to be very social. I think you raise a perfect point. It's also thinking about how who Hank and Peggy are, even though Peggy's from Montana. She seems like she has no desire to move back there. She does seem like she would have more desire to move out of Texas. But at the same time, you know, Hank isn't leaving Texas. He's not going to retire in Arizona like his mom did. He's not going to go move to Florida, which is a popular retirement state. He's going to stay right there in Texas. So what does that mean for Bobby? Bobby is going to stay right there in Texas because he's the only child. So you're right Mm -hmm. in that sense. Like he's going to need to take him. If anything, maybe Bobby is able to uproot them from Arlen and get them closer to a larger city like Dallas or Austin to where the possibility of Bobby pursuing a stand-up career is more realistic. But Mm -hmm. that's as far as it would possibly go. Yeah. And they can't really move the show because then you lose all your supporting characters. Although it would be very Bill to like move closer to the... Oh, yeah. Bill will be the first one (laughs) hitching his R like his trailer to the RV just just like riding those coattails for sure for sure to the point where Hank would want to say something but can't yeah and then just Peggy is giving him the side eye while she reluctantly offers him coffee oh so good we just wrote the show for Mike we did we did another thing about Hank kind of related to my dad he drives a pickup truck my dad drove a pickup truck pretty much my entire childhood and even drives one still today and my dad's not even American you know my dad is from a totally different country and didn't move here until he was in his 20s but he still has like a lot of these American qualities to him that relate to Hank And, and I think that's another thing that's really cool about this show is that I think it can speak to a lot of people from different backgrounds. This show is, oddly enough, extremely popular in Japan. There's like debates on whether or not to watch this show with subs or dubs. <laughs> it's insane. Because it's a novelty, because I think around the world, everyone thinks that Hank Hill is every American. Oh, I'm absolutely sure that if you make a ranking of characters of what other countries think who we are, Hank is probably in the top 10, if not top five. Which makes me a little sad. I'm not going to lie. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It should make you a little sad because that's not who we are entirely. Is it who a lot of us are? True, true. I mean, let's not beat around the bush. There are millions of people who are like Hank Hill, not only on the Democratic side, but also on the Republican side. That's the other thing. Even though Hank is a Republican, my dad is most certainly a Democrat. But I think Hank, like I mentioned earlier, is smart enough to admit that he would vote for a Democrat if his policies align with him. I, I really do believe that. People always try to figure out who is Mike Judge as a person? Is he a conservative or is he a liberal? And Obviously, that is a guarded secret too, yeah, which absolutely. I respect. Yeah. Like the only time he's ever been against a candidate, it was Donald Trump. <laughs> Because even he realized, like most sane people, that this man is dangerous for the country. And I would feel if that show was still going around, like was still running during the Trump campaign, they might cover it in one brief little line. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I don't know if you remember on Twitter when there was something going around of what fictional character would vote for Trump. People were saying Hank Hill, let's be honest. And it's like you totally miss the nuances that this show presents, not only with Hank, but with many of the characters to imagine that he 
would vote for Trump? Absolutely not. He's not a big at like, the show. He's yes. not a bigot because Cotton, if he were still alive, Cotton would bought everything that Trump Absolutely. would have said. And I think you're right. People miss the point of Hank Hill is he's your typical, dare I say, yuppie. So what is so much call him a boomer? He's more of a yuppie. He's middle class America where you talk about what is proper to keep the framework of America going. Going back where I think the episode was called uh, Death Takes Cotton. Cotton was saying all of these crazy stuff and he's like, Daddy, can't say that stuff. Hank Hill has a good, solid moral compass. Now, Dale... He's a whole different story. Dale is a whole different story. And I'm, I'm definitely excited to get to the other characters. So let's go ahead and tie up Hank here. I think I might have mentioned this when we did our West Wing episode. I said along the lines that I'm going to, you know, I'm going to hold any president, regardless of party, accountable for the good or bad things that they do during their presidency. And I think what's important to note with that, Hank is that same person. What I really want to get out there, most of all, is that I'm OK if you want to be conservative. I'm okay if you want to lean towards more traditional values, whatever. Just be a good person. Don't support racist people. Don't support people who don't have your best interests at heart. There are plenty of Democrats that I despise. I'm sure there are conservatives out there that mean well. Hank isn't a racist. You know, just Mm -hmm. because he's conservative, that doesn't automatically make him a racist. Just because he's conservative doesn't make him misogynistic. Just because he's conservative doesn't mean he'd vote for Trump. That's where I think today as a society, we kind of get lost a little bit. We Mm want to jump to conclusions that these types of people would do these sorts of things. And there are conservatives who come in a little too hot and they have to pull back because they get called racist. And, you know, and it's like, oh, wait, 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 wait a minute. I'm not this kind of person. And it's like, well, remember how you're presenting yourself. You have to be a little bit more even keel is basically what I'm also trying to say. And we get that sort of thesis in the pilot episode Mm -hmm. where people are misjudging Hank, where somehow they're convinced his brash nature comes off as abusive, therefore warrants an investigation whether or not he's hitting Bobby. And even Peggy. Right. Remember, Peggy gets a, a, a bruise uh, well, from uh, be, the base be, the ball. Yeah. Because, damn it, Bobby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that boy ain't right. Damn it, Bobby. I don't know what a JPEG is. Sorry. This I show has that. so many great lines. So many great I, lines. I love that TikTok sound. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so we should move on to some of these other characters. I know we mentioned Dale, but I think we have to get to Peggy first. I think Peggy might be one of the more polarizing characters. I actually find her narcissism incredibly hilarious. I love how the high opinion of herself can also be good and a detriment at the same time. I love that she thinks that she is a little bit of a a know-it-all. High opinion of herself, she thinks she's all that and a bag of chips. Her speaking Spanish is just one of the funniest things. And I have to give Kathy Najimy some much credit. We haven't even talked about the amazing voice cast of this show. Everybody does such an amazing job. You know, of course, you have your iconic voices that come from The Simpsons and, of course, Family Guy and and Mm -hmm. shows like that. I would say that those are just like voices of characters. The voice cast of this show perfectly matches the characters that they're trying to bring to life. Also mentioning Brittany Murphy's performance as Luann Mm -hmm. is just so pitch perfect. 
how she's able to teeter the line of being dumb blonde, but also being able to be very sincere and and really feel for her and and root for her. I love it. I love the whole voice cast. I think they're all great. Pamela Adeline is Bobby. Fantastic. And I know there's some controversial ones like Toby Huss is Khan. But yeah, anyways, Peggy's great. She certainly gets in her own way sometimes. And I also think that she's able to get herself out of her own tough situations. She doesn't always need Hank to be the hero, which I think is really cool about the character. And that's why she's actually one of my favorite characters is because she's not helpless. And that's something that she's been trying to prove since childhood. She obviously had a very big talent for sports, but people kept trying to push her towards the traditional values and motherly ways. You're supposed to be a a homemaker. You're not supposed to be an athlete or a full-time teacher. You can make the assumption that her constantly focusing on so many career paths. At one point, she was a notary, I think, when Hank lost his job when they were closing down the propane stores because of Megalomart. Substitute teacher, but she doesn't quite really understand the language enough to teach it because I kind of feel like she is the Betty for dance the woman that she was talking about in the feminine mystique about looking for something that fulfills her outside the home because God forbid society sees women as fully realized people mm-hmm. not just homemakers with dreams and aspirations and I find her interesting that she's trying to find something that fulfills her outside of her family. I just kind of wish by the end of the series she found that thing. She doesn't seem settled like the other characters, it seems like. She's always searching and looking for something. I don't know if that's a misreading of the character, but that's what I get from Peggy. I think in later seasons, they kind of turned her into a, well, actually even in the earlier ones, they kind of turned her into a Homer Simpson. What's the job this week? What what crazy job is she going to do this time? There's some job she's really good at, like real estate substitute teaching to an extent. And there's things that she's not so good at, like entering a beauty pageant or writing musings where <laughs> like sometimes those aren't bangers that she's writing every week. Yeah, I mean, you might be right. Like she didn't land on something necessarily, but she'll always have teaching. She always has a lot of different interests. Some people are just like that. They just do things. They just do a variety of things. And then when they're older, telling their kids or other people like all the different things they did, you know, <laughs> over the years. I think we all know at least a few people who have had like 15 different jobs and have all these experiences with that. So yeah, it's just, I can definitely see where you're coming from with that. I do agree with it to an extent. I think it just has maybe more some to do with understanding that after season six, Mike Judge and Greg Daniels took a backseat. Mm-hmm. And even though the show is being ran by two writers who have already been working on the show, it's still looking at it from a different perspective and meeting the needs that Fox wanted, which was making it more serialized instead of actually having full-fledged character arcs like we were experiencing in those first few seasons. Which is weird because you have The Simpsons, which is not serialized and had character arcs. Fox's excuse was like to make it easy to watch on syndication that they could just jump on any episode and be fine. But to me, it's just such a weird thing because we talked about it with plenty of other sitcoms on the podcast that there are arcs like Cheers is a great example of this. Plenty of those characters have arcs and you can jump in anywhere and just watch and enjoy and have a good time. King of the Hill's the same way. So I don't know why you would think that you need to make it more serialized and throw away potential arcs that you had going with a lot of these characters. It's a very strange choice. And then they do try to like change that a bit when they introduced Lucky and then you had Lucky and Luann's relationship. So they did come up with arcs later on in the series. I 
I mean, they killed off Cotton, for example. That's a big, big step. And they did have some endings for certain characters. Boomhauer, from what we can tell, fell in love with a French-Canadian woman, and that was the nice tie-up for him. And then there was Bill, towards the end of the series, who comes to the realization that he's probably going to be alone forever. Like, he'd probably never get married, but that's okay. He's happy. So let's not also forget, I should mention real quick, Bill was starting a relationship with Khan's mother that focused on for like one episode and then that was it. We never revisit it. We never see mm-hmm. his mother again. So strange. Thanks, Fox. <laughs> yeah, so are there any other characters you wanted to discuss? I know you want to talk about Dale. I know you have a lot of opinions on Dale, so I want to oh. hear you talk about Dale. Dale I feel is the example of what many people in the other parts of this country and maybe most international people think Americans are. Conspiracy theorists that are self-centered and not really knowledgeable (laughs) about how the world actually works and are constantly wrong but will be telling you until they're blue in the face that they're right regardless of the evidence would be that this is a man who would be full on QAnon today, who would be running around saying that the vaccine is going to put trackers in you and that the insurrection had to have happened to save democracy, which there were glimpses of that during the election episode. (laughs) There were glimpses. I'm like, uh oh, did Q get inspired by this episode? You know what I also find funny about Dale is like the only time where he really like fell messes up and admits he was totally completely wrong was being wrong about Y2K and there's actually episodes after the main Y2K episode they had where he's like all right I think it's time for me to finally admit that I was wrong about Y2K (laughs) it's just so random that's what made the early season so funny is because you had random callbacks like that like there was a episode where you saw a pamphlet at the Lagrunda for uh, swimming with the dolphins and then later in the series you get Hank swimming with a dolphin and winds up getting raped by it. (laughs) Jesus. Dale's naivety and trustworthy nature towards Nancy is very comical because here's a guy who thinks he sees what the government's truly made of, but he can't see what's happening right under his nose. Or the fact that Nancy's been going for spiritual healing with John Redcorn for 14 years and his son doesn't look like him and looks like John Redcorn. He's able to narrow down that Joseph was conceived while Dale went to Marfa to see the Marfa lights. And so he comes up with this crack pot theory that Joseph is actually an alien child. He says the aliens knew he was getting close, so they impregnated Nancy so that he would stay distracted and not discover these aliens. It's totally insane theory. And he thinks John Redcorn is gay. (laughs) That's the other hilarious thing about the whole thing. Let him have it. (laughs) In the episode where he learns that his father is gay, and at the end of the episode he's just like, why would I be offended by my father being gay? John Redcorn is gay and we've been friends for years. <laughs> oh my god. It's such a great line. Uh, I love Dale. I think he's great. Chain smoking. He looks a little bit like Hunter S. Thompson. He's just a lot of fun. And, and the truth is, there's not really a whole ton of character growth with Dale. He's just more there to be like comic relief idiot. But man, he's got some good stuff. And then there's really not much to say about Boomhauer. 
hours. So I'll also just jump into Bill. Oh, poor Bill. Sad, lonely Bill. Guys who peaked in high school and life didn't take them where they thought it would go. But if there's anything to take away about Bill, even though he's kind of weird and creepy and all of that, he's also very sweet and he's very caring. I mean, there's a whole episode where Hank, Peggy and Bobby all get really sick and Bill takes care of them. There's a episode where Boomhauer gets his heart broken and it's Bill who picks him back up. He's just a really sweet guy. I mean, really no else to say it. Sometimes I kind of wonder if they're not sure what to do with him because there are times where they take his approach where he's a complete screw up. Why is anyone friends with him? And then they take a sympathetic view on the him. Yeah, that's true. They do go back and forth. So there's a lot of inconsistency. So I never knew, like, how am I supposed to perceive him? And then I need a chance to revisit this episode. But it was like an episode where it's implied that the military, like, did an experiment on him or something. Well, it turns out that it was just a placebo. So it wasn't mm-hmm. actually the military that screwed him up. Bill is the way he is because of Bill. But that doesn't mean he can't fix himself. He's got to make some little changes. And we see that at the end of the episode that he actually starts brushing daily now. So he has better breath. (laughs) Jesus Christ. That happens to a lot of people. You're at your physical peak in high school. You think you got Mm -hmm. it made and that you're going to take on the world. And then for one reason or another, it's just not how it goes. I mean, Bill entered the army with good intentions. He wanted to drive tanks. He wanted to fight in Vietnam. But it was a little too late for all of that. And then genetics kicked in. And we can also need to keep in mind that Bill had a really bad childhood. He had an abusive father. His father would dress him up in pretty, pretty dresses like he describes. There's a lot of trauma there that was never unpacked through therapy. I know Mm -hmm. it feels like we do this with every podcast episode. Like this character should have gone to therapy. It's true. Bill should have 100% gone to therapy. And if he did, a lot of the behavior that he expressed throughout the entire series could have been corrected years ago. Maybe he would be more than just a Sergeant Barber at a military base if he seeked therapy. He would feel more confident about himself. I mean, there's obviously there's some qualities to him. Like I mentioned earlier, he's very sincere. He's very sweet. He's very caring. But he's also as shown to be a really good salesman. He when Peggy was part of that pyramid scheme, (laughs) he was uh, selling a whole lot of merchandise for her. He can be smooth. We've seen him have relationships. We've seen him that he's able to clean himself up, put on a polo shirt and be like this nice person and good with kids and very attentive boyfriend. But there's always one reason or another where something happens and he gets pushed back down and he loses that confidence again. He just has a very fragile personality. And if he just had some therapy, (laughs) I think he would have been able to bounce back a lot better in, in all of those cases. He's definitely an interesting character on pack, but I do agree with you that they went back and forth with him. There's times where he's like totally weird and creepy and you do wonder why people are friends with him. He's obviously the butt of the group. They do rag on him a lot. They don't believe him a lot and they have every right to because he has straight up lied several times. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So that pretty much does it for the main characters. As far as like supporting characters, there's some fun ones. I really like John Redcorn. I like when he talks that his hair starts blowing in the wind when he talks about anything Native American related. (laughs) (laughs) That won't fly nowadays. (laughs) 
he was voiced by two different actors. Victor Aaron was the original voice. And then after he passed away, Jonathan Joss took over. So at least they had the foresight to um, cast a Native American actor to voice John Redcorn. Whereas I mentioned earlier, Khan was voiced by Toby Huss, a white mm -hmm. man. And you also have Junichiro, Hank's half-brother, who's voiced by David Carradine. <laughs> like, what? And, and, you know, it does make me wonder, and we'll talk about this a little later about whether or not King of the Hill aged well in that way. But yeah, John Redcorn, he cares about his people. He wants some of his land back. Dale actually is one who helps him get a lot of land back. Granted, a lot of the land doesn't even touch each other, but at least he helped him get some land back. He did love Nancy. I did find it funny that we learned that he actually cheated on Nancy around the same time they were first having an affair and ended up cheating on her with a stripper who had his child. And so we wrap up his story by him having a relationship with that woman and raising that child because I think that was a really nice way to tie up John Redcorn because he was never going to get a true opportunity to raise Joseph. Uh -huh. And you do in some way feel bad for him because he, out of love for Nancy, will not confess to Joseph that he's his father. Even though Dale has done so much for John, he won't confess to Dale that he had an affair with Nancy. There's all these things he did for Nancy. You do feel bad for him because you look at him and you're like, he's not a, yes, he's an adulterer. He did something that was bad. Having an affair with somebody for 14 years, a married woman for 14 years, that's awful, man. Like taking advantage of someone's trust and naivety like that. And it was an open secret. Everybody knew except for Dale. And being able to live with that, that's a terrible thing. It really, really is. Mm -hmm. But I still feel bad for him to an extent, you know? I thought he did deserve some happiness. So I was glad that they were able to write that for his character at the end there. And when they bring back the series, I'd be very interested to know if Joseph learns that John Redcorn is his dad. That has to happen. You think it has? I agree. I think I, it, has it has to happen to as happen. well. I mean, you don't have to bring him back. You can kill off John Redcorn or you can even kill off Dale or something like that. I don't know how they want to angle it. But I also think it's funny that Joseph's middle name is John. So, I mean, the so man did heal his healing his wife for 12 years at least he can yeah, do exactly so yeah it's just really fun character i think we don't see him too much throughout the series but when we do i mean he's got some good one-liners like i remember um joseph asked john when they were driving to the airport it's like do your people celebrate thanksgiving and he, he says to him we did once <laughs> 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 that always got me. And later on in that episode where he's like, Nancy, I've been searching all over the airport for you. Dale, I searched for you as well. <laughs> it's just like, yeah, right. You've been sleeping with Nancy at the airport the whole time. It's so bad. And so one more supporting character I want to talk about is Khan. I like Khan a lot, but I will admit that they did write him to be a bit of a stereotype, an Asian stereotype where they're very pushy towards their kids to be like straight A students or have like all these talents and try to be impressive. He has a job in the tech industry. He, he likes to hold himself at a higher level than everyone else. And then you come to find out that he's actually like not at a higher level. There are Asian people like Ted Wasanasan who looks down on Khan, won't let his family join the Nine Rivers Country Club, <laughs> which is basically an all Asian country club. So yeah, Khan is always seeking a way to fit in, but he can't fit in anywhere because he's kind of a jerk. He's, he's a bit unlikable. He tries very hard to a point where it's a little pathetic. He's just a person who's hard to be around. And the 
neighborhood feels the same way about that. It's like, it's not that they don't want to like Khan. They do make an attempt to be friendly towards Khan, but Khan is just so self-absorbed and such a jerk to people and he, like constantly calling them rednecks. It's a conflicting character. Like I can see how they should have made Khan a little bit more sensitive and, and they have their moments like that, but it's hard not to admit that they did write him a bit to be a stereotype. I don't know if you caught on to that in the moments that you watched. Yeah, Khan. no, no, which is interesting because his wife is played by someone who's of who's Asian Chinese. Descent. Yeah, Asian yeah. Descent. she's Chin- Chinese. Lauren and, Tom. Uh, which makes me wonder if she had any voice in saying, hey, this is not how it's sort of, you know what I mean? Because like if she did express concerns, whether they were taken or not, right. or if she had any concerns, maybe she did feel comfortable with a storyline because she also voiced Connie too. Yeah, and she might have been totally fine with it. I mean, let's not forget, like the voice acting community is a very tight community. And I think that they, don't see these sorts of things as I shouldn't say I don't know if offensive is the right word it is it's a cultural appropriation in a sense because you have someone who is taking on a person that's not that's not their own or a background because it's not like you're playing Dungeons and Dragons and you're automatically an elf you're playing a character that's from a real culture and for you to do a a quote-unquote accent is troubling because they made the sense to have someone playing John Redcorn to make sure that they did have indigenous ancestry to play that character. And they went as far as like to have Lauren Tom to have her play someone who is also Asian. But they didn't do the same for Khan, which I find weird. No, you raise excellent points. And I do wonder if they bring Khan back in the revival, will it be Toby Huss? It shouldn't. Really, it shouldn't. But, you know, Mike Judge doesn't seem like the type of guy who would fold to pressure like that. Greg Daniels I think would be the one if he's feeling it from especially if they're feeling it from Fox Greg Daniels would be the one or, and it's sorry, now Disney. let me bring this up because they're reviving the X-Men cartoon and the actress who played Jubilee in the 90s is no longer playing that character because she's not of Asian descent so okay. like they're gonna give her a different role for her to play to be a part of the team but they will bring bringing back the character of Jubilee but the character of Jubilee will be playing someone because representation matters whether if it's in live action action or animation that's a good point so i'm sure if they do bring back on that's exactly what they'll do so david tell me some of the highlights for you for the series some of the high points that i think are worth noting for reasons why people should watch it is to look for those those relationship episodes the ones that like challenge social norms the hank and bobby episodes are always really good because you have someone who is very stuck in his ways and having to deal with somebody who's nothing like him and having to be open-minded to guide this son of his to be a good man and also be and also just letting him be himself. So those are also really good. It's fun to explore Peggy as well, because this is somebody who's very hard headed, very confident, and she has some very fun episodes. One episode in particular that's actually quite brilliant. It's basically a spoof of The Sting and Jeff Goldblum has a guest starring voice in it. Basically, Peggy gets conned. So she lost 
thousands of dollars, basically, her and like a other group of people. So they put on a con to con the con man. And it's a really great episode. It's one of my favorite episodes of the series. And I think that's a high point there because it showcases, like I mentioned earlier, how Peggy can get herself in a really bad situation because she has such a high opinion of herself and she's blind to people taking advantage of her. So when she gets outsmarted, you're like, oh, yeah, of course, Peggy would get outsmarted because she's so blind to her own genius that she believes she has that she would fall for something like this. But she's also able to be smart enough to fix her own problems because I think something that's really key about the show is that Peggy doesn't need a man in her life to be happy or be successful. She chooses a man to be in her life. Peggy chose to be a substitute teacher. Peggy chose to be a mother, you know, like I think people overlook that a lot. And this episode is a great example of just like how smart Peggy can really be and how savvy she can be. Peggy's a cool character. And there's also just some fun episodes with the four main friends. And there's also the episode where Bill dresses up in dresses and in women's clothing and calls himself Lenore. And later... To finish off the episode, Hank dresses up in women's clothing as well, pretending to be Lenore and giving them the harsh truth, helping him snap out of it. So this shows a lot of great moments like these that are littered throughout the series. And even though after season six, they did steer away from like natural character arcs that they were working on, there's still some really good episodes in there. I curated a list for this show for you to watch, Romeo, and mm-hmm. I, I had to curate the curated list. Um, the episode you were looking for, it's season six, episode 10, The Substitutes Spanish Prisoner with, yeah, that's the episode you're looking for with, with Jeff Goldblum as uh, Dr. Robert Izoza. Izoza, yeah. Um, Where Peggy was granted genius status. It's such a great episode. And Jeff Goldblum, again, perfect in this role. And the show has some really great two-parters like Propane Boom, the Megalomart exploding. Oh, and you're left with a cliffhanger on who is going to die. Did Hank, Luann, Buckley, or Chuck Mangione die in the explosion? You also had another two-parter where Hank and Peggy go skydiving and Peggy's parachutes don't deploy. And you come to wonder, oh no, what happened to Peggy? She broke every bone in her body and she had to work on herself through physical therapy to walk again. And she got help from Cotton. You know, so there's an arc where Cotton and Peggy got along. Got along. Peggy used her hatred of Cotton to motivate herself to get out that chair and get far away from him. And that's what Cotton was going for. And it works. (laughs) There's a murder mystery in the middle of season four where Strickland Propane's desk assistant, Debbie Grund, is murdered. She's in the dumpster of Peggy Sugarfoots. (laughs) And you wonder, like, who murdered Debbie Grund? Amazing two-part episode. Very reminiscent of the two-parter of um, when Maggie shot Mr. Burns in The Simpsons. I think this one had a better payoff than Maggie shooting Mr. Burns. (laughs) No, no, my favorite bit was the whole unraveling of the mystery. Like, oh, God damn it. Yeah, right? (laughs) I'm like, damn it, Bobby. (laughs) And I love how after Peggy doesn't own Sugarfoots anymore, she still has the Peggy's sign in her office at home. That always cracks me up seeing that as a reoccurring gag. Returning Japanese, when they go back to Japan and Hank finds out he has a half-brother, that was a great two-part episode. We talked about Death Picks Cotton. Great moment as well. And of course, probably the most popular episode in the entire series, the season six premiere, Bobby Goes Nuts, where Bobby learns self-defense at the YMCA. (sighs) Women's self-defense at the YMCA. It was a perfect episode, except for the end. Just because Hank created this problem and... Hank didn't learn his lesson. I don't know. It just seems like Hank still got rewarded. <laughs> well, Romeo, that's my purse, and I don't know you. So. <laughs> 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 
bucket of lemon, I start yelling it in downtown where I work. <laughs> People come approaching me. I don't yeah. know. You that's my purse. Do it. You'll totally <laughs> diffuse the situation. We got to move on. If there's one episode that I would show someone to get them interested, I do have an answer for this. It is going to be season three, episode 10, a firefighting. We will go. Hank, Bill, Boomhauer and Dale get to be volunteer firefighters. That's your God. Um, the episode is basically a Rashomon inspired episode where they're all being interrogated of how it burned down and they all have different stories to tell of how it happened. And it's just a really, really good episode because you get to see the four of them try to live out a childhood dream, but also shows how immature the three of the four of them are. Obviously, Hank being the more mature one out of the bunch. And it's just a cool concept episode. You don't get a whole ton of that for a show that tries to be very grounded and straightforward. You get a lot of like funky dream sequences in the early seasons they kind of get away from that and they do have their two parters that i wish they did more of but i can understand if they didn't want to be too gimmicky with a bunch of two-part episodes Uh so you have this particular concept episode that i thought worked really really well and gets to showcase the four men from the alley it's a really good one and i i I know i didn't add it to the list well it's added to the curated list but not to the curated curated list that i gave you to watch (laughs) because life were there any moments that you were sort of having your doubts about maybe it's time for me to sort of gracefully bow out of the series. Oh, I was never going to bow out of the series, but I was disappointed when they were doing retcons here and there. Bill pursuing a relationship with Khan's mother. That went nowhere. Peggy's mom being a much different person than what was portrayed in the earlier seasons. When we see her in the later series in an episode, a rover runs through it, guest starring Henry Winkler. Funny episode, but it did disappoint me that they changed it up. And I learned a lesson a long time ago before King of the Hill that animated shows, when they run for so long, they do retcon some things like The Simpsons taught us this. It's just it is what it is. So just for a show with King of the Hill being as grounded as it was, I was disappointed that it went that route. And I didn't know the history of it. I didn't know after season six, Mike Judge and Greg Daniels went the background of the series. So they took the series and well, the series didn't change much, but it's just like how they wanted their characters to be like learning lessons was a little less like and having those lessons carry over for following episodes changed. That was disappointing. And really, um, I was more disappointed in Fox because you could tell towards the end, Fox was ready to get rid of it. They were ready to say, bye, King of the Hill. We're green lighting the Cleveland show. That pissed me off. Yeah, because um, they burned off episodes during syndication. Yeah, they did. There were four episodes that never aired. Oh, actually, sorry. They didn't air on Fox. They later aired on Adult Swim. If you're watching this show on Hulu, keep in mind that the those four episodes are listed after To Sorloin with Love, which is the proper series finale. Mm-hmm. This ties in with our question about how should I watch it? You know, right. you can totally binge the show. Is there a recommended viewing order to help? Yes, that is the recommended viewing order. Make sure those last four episodes are not something you watch after To Sorloin with Love. It's just weird. It's weird to watch those episodes. Just make sure that if you've never watched a show before, to finish it with To Sorloin with Love. Keep that in mind. So, dare I ask, is there any other material to enrich the show's viewing experience? There's nothing. Do I want a revival? I do. And and the reason why I want the revival actually ties into our conclusion here of discussing mm-hmm. who can enjoy the show. I feel like this show is the perfect safe space for both conservatives and liberals. This show did an amazing job 
having the balancing act of satirically making fun of both sides of the political spectrum and poking fun at outdated family values. It does such an amazing job with all of that. I feel like this is a show that can bring people from all different backgrounds together where we can all laugh at each other and say, haha, you know, look how silly this is. Yeah, I can see how people can look at this way, this thing this way, how we can laugh at it. So we sort of kind of gave a hint on what we would want in a continuation. Do we want the characters aged up a bit so time has passed? Or do we want to leave, come back to where we left off as Bobby as a middle schooler? We ended the show in 2009. So there are forms of technology that were introduced in the series. Like there was a MySpace episode. Mm -hmm. Strickland Propane had a MySpace page. Mass Media Online Gaming, that was also explored. Hank got addicted to a video game about Propane pain. So these concepts were already explored that mm-hmm. are things that can be explored today. I think it's more worthwhile to age up to characters to see how an older Hank Hill looks at the world today. An adult Bobby looks at the world today. Maybe we can even have a teenage good Hank involved in the series. Mm-hmm. We can also have the teenager of Luann and Lucky's kid in the series. Tragically, Tom Petty and Brittany Murphy are passed away. So I don't know how you want to approach bringing back Lucky and Luann if you bring them back at all. You don't. Okay. You have you have Luann's daughter live with Hank and, and uh, Peggy and th- that'll be probably your hook of yeah, them having okay. to be parents again at their advanced age and that that would be a very interesting thing to explore yeah I would like to see them age them up by 15 years I think that's like an appropriate age because the series ended in 2009 so it's not and, like we're too far removed it wouldn't be the end of the world if they stayed the same age when we left the series I mean the Simpsons hasn't aged anyone up and they're still able to introduce new technology Jeez. And uh, granted, they do retcons a lot. <laughs> and I agree with that. But like if Mike Judge and Greg Daniels are coming back to helm this, which by all accounts seems like to be the case, I'd like to see them continue to project the series where what they were doing, they were aging these characters. They mm-hmm. were grounding this series and exposing characters to these new things and actually producing character growth. I'd like to see them continue that trajectory by setting this 15 years later from where they left off. The world has changed dramatically. Texas is a radically different place than it was when this show was first conceived. How political do you get? Because it seems like Texas is being becoming a battleground for a lot of stuff and it would impact the hills. Do you glance over it and try to ignore it for the more slice of life type issues or do you incorporate that into the show? The tough one. So I don't know. Maybe you come up with characters like maybe not Ted Cruz, but but, but a Ted Cruz. You have, to, you have to put in Ted Cruz. You put in W, you put in Jimmy Carter. And Fair the enough. You put in Ted Cruz, you put in Beto O'Rourke. Explore that. Why not? <laughs> but that's the thing. They can explore it, but also they explore it from such almost a centric view because again, it is a safe space for the show. I think the show can present these political figures in a way that is done honestly. I, I know you and I have a viewpoint of Ted Cruz that is going to be vastly different from Ted Cruz supporters. For better or for worse, Texans love their senator. It may not be projected with all of the um, congressional lines being drawn up, 
that's a whole different story and voter rights. You know, that's something I kind of want them to cover if they come back. They had a whole thing where they're able to operate a polling place in the in their garage. Is that the same case? Yeah. And so I would like them to mess with these political figures, throw Greg Abbott in there as well, but make sure that it's coming from an honest place. Don't try to be too heavy handed one way or another. Just base it all on like these are these people's personalities. This is their track records. And these are the facts. And if presented in the situation of what the episode is, this is probably what these politicians would do. I think if they approach it from that able, it could work because that's what they did in the past. And it worked. And also just a sign note. And I want to see how Hank Hill views the Republican Party because it's changed. Most people would argue that he's not really a Republican anymore, that Hank Hill might be, God forbid, a socialist commie. Because you know how much he hated when Leanne called him a possible communist. Yeah, I remember that. With the manger babies. Yeah, and and yeah, they can't ignore it. That's basically yeah. what's, what's there to say about that. So is there any similar shows or franchises you can recommend that's sort of similar in the vein of uh, King of the Hill? One that comes to mind is F is for Family. It's a Netflix series uh, created by Bill Burr. It's a little bit more crude in humor, but it's like King of the Hill where it's like it's kind of realistic. It's based on Bill Burr's childhood a little bit. It's uh, set in the 70s and it's a funny show. It is. And it's the only one that kind of jumps to mind for me immediately. Another one that jumped to mind immediately was Bob's Burgers because like King of the Hill, Bob's Burgers is just really wholesome in a lot of ways and just a lot of fun and has a lot of likable characters. And it's not trying to be too liberal or too conservative. It's just trying to be. It's a fun show to have. And they have a movie coming out soon. So, yeah, that's, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, and I know you have one, which I thought about, but I didn't write it down. You did. So I'll let you take it. Daria. Uh, it ran on MTV. Uh, roughly the same time frame as King of the Hill, uh, 97 to 2000, based off of a character that's introduced in Mike Judge, other show, Beauty's and Butthead. And it's... It's the other flip side of what he was doing on King of the Hill, where King of the Hill sort of looked at a more Southern conservative type of landscape. Daria is a skewering take on the suburbs in the mid-Atlantic area like Baltimore or Washington, D.C. And it's the same type of humor and a sort of generational gaps. I mean, I feel like Daria Morgendorfer and Bobby Hill might be friends. I feel like they would both be stand-up comedians and their oh. own respected circuits. I know they wouldn't do it, but I'd love to see it. Well, Daria's also a show that's coming back, but from the point of view of an, another character. We did it. We talked about King of the Hill. Stay tuned for Final Thoughts and Mailbag. Welcome back. Love doing this one. I will admit, though, that King of the Hill can be spent even more time than we already did because these characters are, they're a lot more fleshed out. They have a lot more storylines and there's crazy and funny episodes and great quotes that we didn't get around to. There's only so much you can cover. It is what it is. I think you and I are usually harder on ourselves when we are the guests. Almost every episode that I've been the guest for, I felt like, man, I could have gone even harder on this one. I could have really dug in deeper. But, you know, when you're in the middle of a discussion, things kind of trail 
off into different directions and not in a bad way it's just that's just how the discussion goes and you just don't have time for everything i think there's still a lot to get from this i was more self-conscious being in the host seat because i'm the scrappy second most of the time so (laughs) a little bit out of practice leading the conversation in a sense and also keeping us on track is a feat on its own that i haven't had to do i'm usually the one getting us off the rails when we have a guest when you're the one who has to keep the train on the rails and keep the conversation going it's hard i give you props we don't spend a lot of time just doing episodes with just the two of us would we have more episodes on the dock if that were the case yeah probably but it is fun to have that third person it is fun to pick their brains for a bit and for us to be more focused on our roles as me being the guy who guides the conversation and you being the guy who's able to pick things apart from what's being discussed and wanting to explore those ideas and those opinions. We certainly have our roles as hosts. And so when that gets changed a bit, it does make it a little more challenging behind the scenes for us. But overall, through the magic of editing, (laughs) we sound like we're a lot more competent (laughs) in the moment than we actually are. (laughs) And you come from a love of box animation, which is something that I sort of fall in and out of. I'm a casual viewer and you have this great affinity for the comedy writing of these shows. King of the Hill, I would say, is on par with, say, The Simpsons in the sense that there is a lot of things going on underneath. It is an examination of a certain part of American life that, in all honesty, isn't really represented all too often. Because normally when it is, we're talking about Texas or the South in general, most of the writers make it where you're laughing at those characters we're here, we're laughing with them. And I can't really think of another show like that in recent history that's on television like that. Completely agree with that. And yeah, and just so people know that we didn't mention it in the episode is that the biggest reason we did King of the Hill is because we originally were going to do Futurama. But then when the news announced that Futurama was coming back on Hulu, we decided at least we know that with the possibility of King of the Hill coming back, they had said that they plan to age out the characters. So we felt like it's appropriate to still do this show, knowing that this is going to be its own thing. And then the return of King of the Hill might be the same feel, but still be completely different because the characters are older, so they're going to do something, I would imagine, quite different. It's kind of like what they did with the Connors, in a sense. Mm -hmm, Exactly. It is a continuation, but it has a spirit of the original TV show of Roseanne, where they're examining Midwestern families struggling with blue-collar communities that are feeling the pinch of a lot of the economic strains that are going on in the country. And I think King of the Hill might be a reflection of that same thing. And I can't wait for Senior Citizen Peggy and Hank. I can't wait. Oh, I can't wait, too. I think it's going to be awesome. One more thing to note is that I did mention that I made a curated list of episodes for Romeo to watch. And I'm actually going to make sure we get that posted on our Facebook and on our Instagram pages because you don't have to. Obviously, this isn't like the Bible of how to watch King of the Hill. But I think if this is something that a show you're interested in, but you don't want to watch 200 something episodes of, 
this list is a good reflection of the series and it'll help you kind of speed through things. And if you really, really, really enjoyed what you watched, then you can circle back and watch all of them. Where are our social media pages? Well, you can find us on Facebook at Binge Essentials and you can find us on Instagram at Binge Essentials. You can always email us with questions and comments at bingeessentials at gmail.com. If you do so, we will certainly comment on it in our next episode's final thoughts. If you want to reach me on Instagram, you can find me at David Rocha Binge. You can find Romeo at rmora02. You can find me on Twitter at David Rocha Radio and you can find Romeo at rmora1. Time to tease next month's episode. Next month's episode is Battlestar Galactica, the 2003 series created by Ronald Dean Moore. Joining us to talk about it is nobody. Romeo is actually going to be the guest for this one. Romeo is a huge Battlestar Galactica fan. Am I underselling that, Romeo? <laughs> I actually wrote my thesis in order to graduate from college on Battlestar Galactica. To say that I'm a super fan is an understatement. Very much so. All right. Can't wait for that discussion and for you guys to hear it. But until then, thanks for listening. Catch you guys next month.